Hello? Hello? It's all around us. What's up? Wow, that came out wrong. Hello, everybody. What is up? And welcome to the first show of 2021. With me tonight is my friend Shelly, because we are covering a topic of dead things. Hello, Shelly. How are you? You had my curiosity, sir, and now you have my attention. Did you say dead things? Well, sort of. Graveyards. Graveyard symbology and history and things along those lines. I've been wanting to do a show like this for a long, 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 long time, maybe since the beginning of, of, of the whole podcast. And I was never able to find anybody that would be able to come on here because it's such an, it's it's such an odd topic. Not a lot of people know about, um, graveyard symbology. Well, you do. (laughs) You do. Um, but you don't have like a lot of books out there or a blog or or anything really to go and, and make reference to, or what have you. And then um, Stephanie Quick pointed me into the direction of Tui Snyder, who is a woman that this is what she does. She's a there's a term for it, but she is a graveyard historian and she knows all about symbology of what's on tombstones, why what tombstones are where the history of, of just all anything that has to do with graveyards and death or what have you. This woman knows about and she's really, really cool. So when the opportunity came up for me to interview her, the first person I thought of was you. Like, without hesitation, it was like, I need to get Shelly in on this. My morbidly curious, awkward friend join me to talk about this. That, that, that's so delightful that you would say that about me. We also have another show. Well, I also have another show that I'm trying to get into works right now that you're going to be coming back on. Um, and that one has to do with grave robbing, but that one's a little bit tricky because that one has to do with time zones on the other side of the planet. And you are in a time zone three hours past. No, I'm I'm ahead of you by three hours and the other person is going to be ahead by a large amount of time. So I'm trying to put that one together and be able to coordinate time zones between you two people and me. It's a pain, but we'll get to that one eventually. So, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of questions for Tui. She's, um, she's a real sweet woman, not, not somebody It's kind of creepy, actually, because like I've watched her videos and I've heard her interviews and I've studied up on her. She does not come across as the type of person that would be into this kind of stuff. Like she's like this kind of stuff. What's wrong with liking this kind of stuff? There's nothing with liking that. There's nothing wrong with liking this kind of stuff. Or obviously we wouldn't be wouldn't be doing this. But this person like she's just she just doesn't. 
like if I were to meet her somewhere, like in a coffee house or something like that, I would not think that this person is into this kind of stuff. So I'm like, all right, sure. All right. But she's got a couple of books out. She's got the meaning of hands. And let me actually, let me expand this here so I can read the whole thing. The the meaning, ah, the many meanings of hands in historic cemeteries. And another one is historic cemetery symbols. She's got a book six feet under, which is a book about graveyards in Texas. And then she's got another one called grave goods. And then she's got a series of different videos up up on YouTube. I do recommend going out and finding this woman after this show's over with, because even though me and you have a lot of questions, um, we're just kind of scratching the surface of what, what this woman does. So, and I do know what these kinds of people are called, by the way, they're called accomplished. Ah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Unlike the rest of us that are just morbidly curious and have insomnia. And we ask ourselves, what do Puritan graveyard symbols mean? I'm going to spend my evening reading about that instead of sleeping. Are you a person that likes to walk through graveyards and check them out? Me? Yes. I used to. I I do as well. You have a very cool graveyard by you, um, actually. And when I was out there, I I wanted to go by there. But again, I just didn't have enough time for it. I hope to go back there someday and and check this place out. But there is a grave at, at a graveyard by you. And I'll look into it and find out the rest later. Where there's a tombstone. And this tombstone says it's got the woman's name, and apparently it just says "killed by Satan." <laughs> uh, killed by the beast, six six six. Yes. So, yes. Yes. Uh, you know of this. Yeah, of I, I know quite a bit about that cemetery, and uh, it's is it, there's a lot to do with it. And I did notice that um, with Tui, not only does she write about graveyards, so the historical components, the intellectual components, but she actually has companion books about um, ghost hunting. And that is actually one of the reasons I won't enter that particular graveyard. Um, It's got some other things going on with it. Um, But regardless, yes, um, there is that one that is in central Salt Lake City. um, And there's a lot of history behind that one. I'd be more than happy to link that up inside of the Facebook group. Um, There's uh, a lot of stories, but I am super stoked that maybe we could even touch on that component, but largely about her endeavors, Tui's endeavors to document this and catalog it in such a way that it is digestible and available to all of us plebeians in a way that almost makes it socially acceptable. You are far too well-spoken to be on this show. (laughs) I have my moments. You you use far too many big words that uh, are highfalutin, that uh, I have a hard time understanding. I'm kidding, but um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into this interview here and let's give her a call and uh, let's see where this takes us. The only thing I'm worried about is is that me and you both have such a wide variety and list of questions, and then she's got stuff she wants to talk about. I'm just wondering um, how long this is going to go and if we're going to have enough time to be able to cover everything with her. So um, I don't know. Let's uh, let's just jump in yeah, and see where I mean, it goes. Let's let's let the expert lead us. So with us tonight, we have Tui Snyder, a, well, you're South Texas, I believe, or are you Mid-Texas? I don't remember. North, North Texas, essentially. North Texas. That's, I, I'm not even close. And I've actually <laughs> been to your area where you're from. I've been to that, uh, the cemetery with the alien there. And um, 
that's a neat little cemetery you got there. But your thing is you go out and explore cemeteries, graveyards, uh, all of the things that have to do with that. And I believe the term for what you are is called a tapophile. Am I correct on that? Yeah, tapophile. So taff means grave or tomb. And, you know, a file like means you, you like it or love it. It means you're a tombstone tourist. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. So that is a that is a Greek thing. I recall seeing a video of yours at some point or another that you you brought up that all roads lead to Greece, and usually the term is all roads lead to Rome, but you found that um, most of the stuff that you study it always leads back to old Greek iconography. Is that how this works, or it really does? I'll be looking up a word so much, so many words that we use, like the word cemetery is comes you know you you trace its roots back. It's like oh here I am in ancient Greece again. And there are so many traditions that you could trace them back to ancient Greece. And it's just, it really is. That's why my little in-joke for myself, you know, when I'm doing research and I'm like, oh, of course, it has ancient Greek origins. I'll be snickering as I'm, you know, digging through an archive and laughing. And I'm like, you know, all roads lead to Greece. And I, I, I find that amusing. So that's one of those inside jokes with myself that I'm sharing <laughs> with people. That's a delightful way to put it. Because, I mean, when it really comes to Rome, it's like that kid, the hungover one's Greece's shoulders and just copied everything off of his test. Yeah, it is. I mean, that was actually a really cool strategy for them uh, to their way of, you know, being like the Borg and assimilating different. One of the ways that ancient Rome grew was they were, they were kind of like, I never really thought of that before, but they were like the Borg of their day. They would go through and go, sure, keep all your culture and we're going to take what we like from it. And they really did admire a lot of the things from ancient Greece. And that perhaps is a big reason that those traditions continue. Maybe if they had just gone through and stomped everything out of ancient Greece, there wouldn't be anything left. But there was a lot to admire. They took what they liked and carried on with it. And we, a lot of it, what amazes me, carries on to this day. So I got to ask, this is a question you've been asked a million times, but I've got to ask it anyways. And I, I normally don't like to do this kind of stuff, and I apologize. But how does one become interested in what how, how did you go down this path to get into what you do? Because you've got several books on this. You give seminars on this. Like, you really know your shit about cemeteries and graveyards. Most people would find that creepy, but you do this all through historical aspect, and you see a lot of aspects and pull a lot of these meanings and stuff out of that most people, like, most people just drive by a cemetery and see tombstones and go, yeah, such and such is buried there or whatever. You know, and most people don't go to these places unless they got family members that are that are buried there or whatever. But you go out and explore these places all the time. How, why, what What led you to this? Um, yeah, you know, what? what's the story here? Yeah, so you kind of want my origin story, I take it. <laughs> yes, were you bitten I, by I, a radioactive tomb spider? I, <laughs> I, I seriously was going to make that exact joke just then. <laughs> okay, well, never mind, can't use that one. Um, although there is, you just reminded me, my stepdaughter lives in London, and she found there's an obscure species of spider that it's venomous. There are not a lot of venomous spiders in England, and uh, but one of them is lives only in graves, like in tombs. So mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, that's really something. I'm scared of spiders, so I'm glad I know about that now. But uh, getting back to your question, uh, I, I've got a few things I could say about that. Uh, for one thing, a little, well, I don't know, a few years ago or whenever I had it, was simply that uh, cemeteries are for the living. 
and people don't think that. Like you said, most people just drive by and they're going, oh, you know, there's a bunch of headstones. And to them that, yeah, obviously that reminds you of death. And in our modern culture, we pretty much only go to a cemetery these days. Most people, unless you're me, <laughs> you, you're attending a memorial for someone or, you know, you're the one in the box, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not really going to be a happy day for you. And so we've built up a lot of avoidance over that in the modern times. But that really, when you think about it, a cemetery, we, we can argue till we're blue in the face. And I do actually go on paranormal investigations sometimes. And I'm fascinated by all things woo-woo. But really, none of us, even with the most of, you know, you've got this great EVP or this great photo of a ghost, we really don't know what happens when we die so you know we we know that we bury people right and we know that there are dead bodies in the cemetery i know that's obvious but my point is the reason the cemetery is there is so the living can return the living can go there memorial comes from the word you know memory you're there to remember Mm -hmm. and it's there to preserve history uh i don't in fact usually my my favorite kind of burial ground to go to is one where the most recent burial is from 50 years ago or more because then then you truly are walking through history and you're not going to run into living people there mourning like if i go to uh do some research and check out some cool headstones and i see people there who are obviously there mourning i just leave and go to a different one that day you know it's i'm not there to bother the morning but when you're in a, a, a like a cemetery that's quite so old that no living person is there it's not in use anymore then if you do bump into someone most likely they're going to be a fellow historian <laughs> i've actually i even sold books to a fellow who was um i was at the showman's rest it was a, a, a it's still in use actually but um, I was taking pictures of myself with my book <laughs> there in front of some of the memorials, and a man ran up and, "What book is that?" and bought it off me, which was kind of funny. What? I know. <laughs> You're like selling shit at a cemetery. Here you go, sir. You know what? I, I back in the remember remember the old days, you guys. Remember, we'll be the old timers talking about back when people used to mix and mingle without wearing masks or anything. Yeah. They used to like they used to just blow out birthday candles without thinking about all the you know, what they were ejecting from their air, the aerosolized particles on the frosting, you know, those days. So I used to uh, attend quite a few like in-person book events, which were a lot of fun. And the, my favorite annual one takes place in a cemetery in Fort Worth. And I actually have my best book sales of the year there every year. Wow. But, but that aside, it's a really fun, um, it's a, a cemetery here at, in Fort Worth, well, it's about a half hour for me, but in Fort Worth, where the local historical group does a Saints and Sinners tour every year, where they bring to life some of their residents, and it's you, you spend about an hour going around this tour, and people are in costume, and some people have even played their own ancestors, which is really cool. If, you, if anyone wants to see something about this, I have a, on my YouTube channel, you can see it, because I, I videotaped them, and I, you can hear their accents and the different stories they tell. It's really neat. But that's one of my favorite things. But getting back, I know you were asking about me, and I'm hopping down several bunny trails. But you, <laughs> it's okay. You go ahead. A lot of- <laughs> we're happy to go down just like Alice. Well, Lead the I way, really- bunny. You know, I get really excited because I mean, even in my family and even some of my closest friends, they do have. They still don't get why I'm interested in historic cemeteries. They still think that I must 
you know, they have this thing in their head where it just must be really morbid. And I have this one, one of my brother-in-laws is always saying like, why do you write these books about death? You know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's, it's just, you just don't get me. So when I am, you know, on your podcast and knowing that, wow, someone's excited, wants to hear about this, I get pretty pumped up. Um, in fact, I even made a, I, I sell, in fact, I made a, a mug that says historic cemeteries are my happy place. <laughs> <laughs> and only certain people can relate to that. Some people see that mug and they're like, oh, wow, I need this. And other people are like, you are sick, girl. What is with you? So, you know, I know that people don't always get it. But like I said, I truly believe cemeteries are for the living. I might bring that up again. But my personal interest in them goes back to when I was a little girl, I was nine years old, and I used to play in a historic cemetery with my friends. We would wait for the our uh, Girl Scout meeting to begin. If we got there early, we'd go play in the cemetery for a little while. And then, um, you know, we would go into the church, which was across the street. And by the way, I should mention that there is a technical difference between the word cemetery and graveyard. Uh, a graveyard is attached to a church, and it's also called a churchyard, but a cemetery is just land that's been set aside for burial, so um, it doesn't have to be affiliated with a church, so it's one of those, you know, mm-hmm. I, use them inter- I use them interchangeably, and I also notice that the word graveyard, for whatever reason, seems to have a, like, a spooky connotation to it, you know, and when I want to be creepy, I will say, like, haunted graveyards, you know, rather <laughs> than haunted cemetery, it sounds, mm-hmm. it sounds creepier for whatever reason, but um, so there I am. Backing up, I'm nine years old, living in Virginia, and my friend and I, we thought there was a Girl Scout meeting that day, and instead there wasn't, so we waited and waited. Long story short, this creepy, perverted janitor tried to kidnap us. What? And, yeah. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was scary. And he was being nice to us, but I just, something in me, gut level was like, this guy is something wrong with him. He, you know, adults can be affectionate with kids, put their arms around him, but he's going, no girls, they've moved the meeting to this other room. He takes us into this other smaller room and, um, well, long story short, he locks us in there and I realize he has bad intentions and I'm just being polite here. And I, um, I climb, I, I try the door and, um, it's locked. <laughs> and so then luckily the window was open and I climb out the window and it was only the first floor. So it was still a bit of a leap for a little nine-year-old, you know, but we leapt out and we just were like, Whoa, what just happened? I tried to kidnap us. Whoa. So we were just kind of walking home. We still didn't quite realize the amount of danger we were in. And he pulls up next to us in his car and tries to get us in the car. And and so luckily that graveyard was right there and we played in it so many times. Like you should never, please, if you're listening at home, do not run in a cemetery. It's not good. But when you're a little kid, no one had told us not. We would play chase. We would run around in there. We knew that cemetery so well that as he chased us, he got out of his car and we, we ran through there because we were smart enough to know he couldn't take drive a car through the cemetery right mm-hmm. and so we were like okay and he was bigger than us and if we had just been running down the street he could have easily caught us but luckily we ran through the cemetery and we knew how to weave and bob all through it and then we knew where there was a uh, the woods were and there was a shortcut and the whole time he's like girls come back i just want to be your friend or something it just oh, it was horrible 
I mean, I'm trying to laugh at you. It's just so creepy and so weird, though. No, you know, it's I like know. I don't know what else to oh, do here. <laughs> it, it was a very, it was a pivotal moment in my young life, I must tell you. And our parents didn't believe us, and uh, we weren't allowed to play together anymore. They thought we'd made up the whole crazy tale. I mean, I was like, seriously, this was before the Amber Alert, and so you know, I don't know if you, we all know what the Amber Alert is, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so um, set your phone off, and this one went out. Yeah. Oh, it scares the heck out of you at like yeah. two or two in the morning. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, it let's see what it, is. it stands for. I'm thinking it's it's what they call a backronym. It's like when you have an acronym, but then you make up. So, so it's like America's missing broadcast emergency response. So Amber, but it really ultimately was inspired by a little nine year old girl named Amber Hagerman. And so I included her in one of my books. I wrote a little portrait about her, and she was a Girl Scout just like me. And she'd sold like, you know, 135 boxes of Girl Scouts and, you know, cookies in a single day. I mean, that's way more than I ever did. But she's best known, sadly, for the fact that she was abducted in plain sight. There was a couple people who saw it, but uh, it was by someone in a black pickup truck, which here in Texas is kind of like every other car you see. And uh, her trail went cold and you know, they to this day they haven't found her um, her killer, but they found her body a few days later. And so, as I was researching that, I really started thinking. Like, I looked at pictures of her, and I just it really flipped me out. Like, man, you know, so glad that wasn't me. I, um, but yeah, so a cemetery really came in handy for me when I was nine. That was my that's my origin story for you. I don't usually share that. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate it. Sounds yeah. like comforting. Like a way to save yourself. So now you get to yeah. go explore them and, and more. Well, and I got to say, and then when I was a teenager, my friends and I discovered that there was a beautiful cemetery uh, where we we would go have picnics there. And uh, that's what I was going to ask you by next question. You, you talk about the history of people having picnics in cemeteries. Mm-hmm. This is something that used to happen all the time over in Europe and in Russia and things like that. But mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like it's a thing that happens here in America. So what's up with having picnics in cemeteries? Well, it's funny. Yeah, it's something that I did not knowing. I was tapping into a kind of an ancient tradition. And once again, I suppose we can go all the way back to Greece, if not farther. But have you ever noticed the main piece of furniture? I'll get this ties in with picnics, by the way. So the main piece of furniture you see in a, in a cemetery is a bench. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that? And even now, there are memorial benches. Yeah, and even stone when ones and things mm-hmm. like that, the head of a tomb sometimes, or a grave sometimes. Yeah, and even, and you can buy them now, they're called memorial benches, you can Google that and you'll see them, it's still a common thing, uh, when, when you're in a regular park. Weren't they called like etceteras or something like that? Like, you know. Mm-hmm. They're called etceteras, yeah. Yes, which, okay. Um, mm-hmm. and, the, and so like, yeah, when you, it, so an ancient Greek public bench was kind of this curved, that's a specific style, that's a curved style bench, mm-hmm. so uh, that's the etcetera, and so ancient Greece, so yeah, so back in ancient Greece, if you could, uh like your your family plot was an important place and if you were going to have something there one of the first things you would build there might be a bench and etc like that a curved bench and but you would see these in public places in ancient greece i mean if we could go there um but the next thing you would want to make would be a table tomb which just looks like a table and I, i used to see these in virginia a lot i don't see them in texas much but they're it just looks like a big stone table and they're really they can be, I mean, be careful if you see a table tomb. They, they are kind of precarious <laughs> because it's just, you know, some legs and a big stone, flat, heavy stone on top of it. 
but that was a place to put the food. So, you know, put the olives and the grapes and the, you know, wine and whatever Greek snacks you're going to have. I love Greek food, by the way. But so, yeah, that people would come and they would celebrate, um, maybe come to celebrate different holidays there at the cemetery. And this is a tradition that has come right down through the ages with us. Uh, pretty much, from what I've been able to tell, this really dwindled after the Great Depression. You can actually go, I think Atlas Obscura has some, that's a website I really love. They have some really great photos of people in the 1800s and even early 1900s. And I think even up to the 1950s, there were some people having um, picnics in cemeteries. And a big reason for this practice, well, there's a few. I mean, I could talk about garden cemeteries in a minute. But I, I think I want to mention the impact that the Great Depression had on us. Because... Um, when the Great Depression here in America, you know, hit hit us hard, and people had it really changed the shape of the family. People had to maybe move to the big city to get work, or move away from town to get work, and so they weren't families weren't as localized as they had once been, and that is when the whole idea of perpetual care came about in cemeteries, because if you weren't home, you know, living nearby to take care of a burial plot. You had to pay a cemetery to maintain the grounds for you. Now, I don't know where you guys live, but here in Texas, when I go to these different country cemeteries, some of them still have signs up that will say, homecoming last Sunday in April, you know, annual decoration day, like mid-April. Or mm -hmm. some of them even call one of my favorite names for it, and I've seen this more than once, is they call it, all day singing and dinner on the ground. Because here's what would happen. What a delight. Yeah, isn't that interesting? <laughs> so this would be, you know, an annual event. They do it in the springtime when flowers are growing. Because then the reason they call it Decoration Day is because they could decorate the graves with flowers. But these were really big social events for the community. And there would be picnics and prayers. I mean, kids would be running around kind of like I used to, playing. They would um, move the pews from the, if it was a graveyard, they could, if church nearby, they could move the pews out into the cemetery so they could be out there and have an outdoor meeting. People would bring all sorts of snacks. It'd be a big potluck, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, but after the Great Depression, that whole thing just kind of petered out for the most part. Like I said, I still see vestiges of it here, uh, kind of in, in, in the, throughout the South. Um, i I did live in Washington State for quite a bit of my childhood, and I didn't, I was not aware of that practice going on. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, once again, I've hopped down a million bunny trails, but. So, uh, Louie, I actually have a question for you. It kind of ties into a lot of the different topics that you just touched. So, one of the most um, touching um, moments in film I've ever seen in my life was from a film named Luther, where it's talking about Mark Luther and. Um, Martin Luther. Point, yes. Yeah, so, okay. Um, he uh, was attempting to bury a young man that had committed suicide, and they wouldn't let him mm. do it on the ground. Now, yeah. as you talk about in your books, um, there's an incredible amount of structure when you've got a graveyard where there was a lot mm -hmm. of control by 
certain churches of, okay, so in this part, you need to bury all of the degenerates and all of these other peoples, the best people they were reserved here. In fact, you talked about how in early America, they would actually bury people in the church. And the higher up in society you were, the closer you were the, um, to the, the altar. altar. Exactly. Now, here's my question to you. If we have eight types of different cemeteries, which you've talked about in, in your book. Now, at what point did we go from um, kind of a, a more European-centric, uh, this is the graveyard and the priest ultimately has control about which direction you're buried and which part of the cemetery you're allowed to be buried in. We even had segregated uh, cemeteries so black mm-hmm. people have to be buried over here. I've even heard of something as as extreme as a segre- segregated pet cemetery. It's somewhere oh, really? in East wow. where black people's pets buried over here, white people's pets buried over here. There's a lot of control mm-hmm. about death and where people are buried. But then we kind of evolved into all these other types of cemeteries. So if you could touch on mm-hmm. each of those types of cemeteries and then tell me a little bit about what you may anticipate where we went from that tightly controlled religious concept all the way to, you know, we have other type. Yeah, you mentioned segregated cemeteries. And one thing that I've noticed is when I go to a town and it, I look and I'll see a place called Old City Cemetery. And a lot of places will have, you know, Old City Cemetery. And then once I start to dig into Old City Cemetery, I'll realize that it has several, it's several different cemeteries that have merged. And you can tell because as you're going through it, you'll come across a cemetery gate that will say Trinity. And you'll find out that's where the African-Americans are buried. And then you'll find another cemetery gate and it'll say Calvary. And that's where all the the Catholic burials are. And there'll be another cemetery gate. And when you look into the history behind it, you'll see that, oh, they originally were trying to be segregated and keep everybody separate. But as there became more burials, the whole thing merged into one big cemetery. And I bet if you, I bet you could just look around yourself, wherever you live in America, find an old city cemetery, and you're going to see something similar has happened. So people do try to segregate themselves. And yeah, if you had committed suicide or you were a criminal, you would not, back in the day when you there were mostly church cemeteries. Oh, that's right. Shelly wanted me to talk about the different kinds of cemeteries. So yeah, a church cemetery, which we had talked about, is technically, a, you know, it's a graveyard, essentially. Um, but it is, it is a burial ground that's connected directly with a church. Now, a a public cemetery, on the other hand, that would be owned by the city or county or the town, not necessarily a church. It's usually outside of the metropolitan area, and it's uh, it's the public cemetery. Um, You could have private cemeteries. These are probably the most common thing we have now where it's cemetery, and that's the most common memorial park burial ground that we have in America. Um, military cemeteries, of course, that's fairly you know, self-explanatory. Um, there is what they call a family cemetery. That's just, let's say you lived on a, a farm and you're, <laughs> it's just 
been tradition. There's family owned and on family owned land, and there's just the close family is buried there. There's a another one. It's called. It's just when. Um, it's, it's the least official version of a cemetery, and they just call it a customary cemetery. And it's maybe people don't even remember the official origin. It's just where people in this town originally started burying people. And so it's a less formal kind of thing. We don't really have too many of those now, but you can find them, historic ones like that. Um, there are cemeteries that are associated with different fraternal lodges, like a Masonic Lodge, or uh, the Odd Fellows especially. And then a mass grave. That's another kind of cemetery. So there's a lot of different, you know, kinds of cemeteries. But uh, I'm trying to think what else you asked me about segregated. Oh, you're asking me. Okay, so how did we transition from being such a strict, regulated, everyone wanted to be buried in the church, and the closer to the altar, the better? Now, I have heard, and I didn't put this in any of my books because I haven't been able to substantiate it yet, and I don't want to pass along something that's not totally true, but it's just so great I have to share it. I've heard that the... You know, imagine burying people right by the altar, and you're sitting there the next week <laughs> having during a ceremony. Well, I've heard that the, the phrase stinking rich comes from that, because you would oh. as bodies decompose, oh. of course. Yeah, and that's something. And especially now, the example you had was Florida, wasn't it? So Yes, yes. Oh, boy. But can you're you imagine... Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's like, this thing is now, it sounds so good. And sometimes when things sound really good and I dig into them, they turn out not to be true. But that is just, I had to share it. So I would say that this all changed about the time that garden cemeteries, the idea of garden cemeteries came into being. Yeah, I was going to say, what what are what were garden cemeteries? Because you know, I was going to ask you what a scrape cemetery was and what a garden cemetery was. Oh, right. okay, good, good. Yeah. I, I think Greg Gatsby, like 1920s glamour, but I'm pretty uh, sure it's not right. Yeah, not quite, although, I mean, I like that idea. No, they, they originated earlier, actually. It was 1804, really. Uh, we, we got it. Let's all go to Paris now, shall we, in this bit? So it, they started in Paris because in Paris, can you imagine, these churches, they had been burying people for quite a long time. And if you weren't rich enough to be buried in the church, you're going to be buried in a churchyard. And as Shelley mentioned, there was kind of a pecking order as to where you would be buried out there. But... Long story short, you're gonna and you're gonna run out of room because they bury people on top of people, on top of people, on top of people. And now let's add some weather, like heavy rains, maybe some floods, a weak church wall. Can you imagine bodies spilling out onto the streets? Uh. Yeah. And even though they didn't have the whole idea of germ theory figured out, they knew that a stinky rotting corpse was not a healthy thing and they were having a lot of plagues. And so there they, they came up with an idea. They were like, Hey, let's quit burying people in city limits. Let's make that illegal. Let's make some land outside of, uh, you know, out of town. And because we're French, we will make it like a sculpture garden and it will be so cool and people will come. And, and that's what they did. They call it Père Lachaise. And I've never been there. I'm dying to go there, but I've seen lots of photos and uh, it is still a, one of the you know, top tourist destinations when people go to France to go to Paris. They go there. So that was Oscar that. Wilde is where you go. Yes. And kiss you him? Kiss oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so, I'm getting the glamour that, now. 
Yeah, there, I know. Yeah, you can see the government. So then the Boston area was having the same issue. And they thought, well, hey, so that's why they created America's first garden cemetery, Mount Auburn. It's in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And it is gorgeous. You can Google it. I haven't been there yet either. I was supposed to get to go earlier this year, but, you know, didn't get to travel as much as expected. But it is a really gorgeous cemetery that has actually achieved arboretum status. Because back then, you would, okay, so it, imagine an arboretum, essentially, that has burials in it, really interesting monuments, so it's essentially like a sculpture park. People didn't have public parks at that time. It, uh, these garden cemeteries were America's first public parks. So people would come out on the weekends, not just because they were attending a burial, but they wanted to, artists would set up their easels. It was nice, fresh air. They would hunt game. They would, uh, they would. Wait, they'd hunt and they would hunt in a cemetery? Like, like They would. They would have carriage races. <laughs> Can you imagine? It was what? like, yeah. Like they, they would do fun. Don't do things. that every Sunday, Roe. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. Aren't you going fox hunting? I mean, week? I was down with the idea of making them into golf courses and just removing the headstones, but hey, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, wow, that's a thought. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so that's how the whole garden cemetery, so garden cemeteries caught on. And where you will find these garden cemeteries today, uh, and like I said, many of them have achieved arboretum status because they have heritage plants there. When you bought... When you bought a plot there, they would give you a little booklet telling you how which plants would grow well in this area and have little ideas, kind of like a Better Homes and Gardens thing, like, hey, plant this here, and this might look good, and do this or that. And so people would kind of try to make their their plot look spiffy, the way we do with our lawns. You know, people, everyone have their own personality for their lawns. People would do that with their cemetery plots. But these, this is more what you will find around the urban areas, so the big cities like Chicago and Places like New York, um, you know, Savannah, you're going to see a big kind of garden cemetery. Um, the smaller towns, you're going to see, you're going to see just the country burial grounds. And 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 Road was asking about scraped burial grounds, right? Yep. Okay, yep. so I, I guess I could segue into that. So on the other hand, so there's these beautiful, you know, we talked about beautiful garden cemeteries. But on the other hand, if we could time travel and we could go back and travel through the South in the 1800s. When you think of a cemetery these days, like you mentioned, a golf course, you think of lawn, right? Am I right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just picture, oh, yeah, vast expanses of lawn. That's kind of goes hand in hand. Memorial Park, lawn, grass, you know. Then they'll these flat things that they can mow right over. But to early settlers, grass did not have the same connotations that it does today. Like, they didn't even have lawn grasses until the 1930s, and there was a, the first lawnmower was invented in, like, the 1830s, and I don't think many people were using it much. So the idea, nowadays, we think of a big, huge lawn as, like, you are rich if you could afford to have a big old green carpet out in front of your house. But back mm -hmm. then, to them, it was like, oh, that could have snakes. That could have weird bugs. You could have, you know, wasps. What is there? Also, a bunch of grass, it could get really dried out and be a fire hazard. And it could, if, when it's green, it could attract cows who would come and trample your livestock. 
So what they would do, you know, I'd already talked about the annual decoration day. A few days before that happened each year, a bunch of guys would get together with hoes and they would come out and they would scrape all vegetation from the, the cemetery. So it would just be dirt and then they pack it down. So then it would be ready for decoration day when everyone would come and they have their big party. So that's the whole thing. And you know what? Those continued. I even have a book that was came out in the 1980s that had a map of all the scraped graveyards that were left because they were really dwindling. And I got to say, once again, they the reason they dwindled was basically, from what I can tell, the, after the Great Depression, when people weren't able to come home and tend their family cemetery plots. Uh, so... That's when the whole idea of these these uh, for-profit cemeteries came in, and they had perpetual care. And they're like, you pay us a little bit, and we will tend the graves. And so it became easier for them to just put down a big old carpet of grass that they can mow. And that's why we, most of the time, modern markers are just these flat markers that can just be mowed over, not like mm-hmm. the, the fancier. So that's, that whole transition there. But there was one more thing I was going to say. Where was I going? Did I... Um, Oh, so I had this book from the 80s, and it said it had a map showing where the last maybe 15 or 20 scraped graveyards were in Texas. And my husband and I went to as many as we could, and they were almost, they were almost all grass. And it wasn't until I was given a talk at this uh, Monument Builders Conference, which was really fun, because mon- people who build headstones, and make it tends to be family-owned j- businesses that go back for generations so they regaled me with toy with to- toys they gave me to- no they gave me toys they gave me <laughs> to- say, uh, <laughs> you mean stories yes like this stuff it might be mental toys <laughs> yeah oh, that's it if Thank they did you. give you toys we want to know what they were <laughs> she they did actually give me some fun things like they gave me this little um well, I'm a, as a writer, I'm a sucker for like notepads and pens. And they gave me this little um, thing made of foam, but it's supposed to look like a piece of granite. So maybe I'm not that, I don't know, Freudian slip. I, I, I'm blushing right now. <laughs> from that. I meant to say. You're among like, friends, but do tell. Okay. Yeah, they had a lot of great stories. And they told me where the last remaining scraped graveyard that they were aware of in Texas was. And so I was able to go and check it out and they hated it because I mean, not like, Oh, I, you know, they didn't have hatred for the people there or anything. It was just a very challenging place to have burials because the soil was really heavy clay. Like after I talked to those guys, it gave me a really different appreciation for the whole idea of cemeteries. In fact, one of the guys at that monument, uh, um, building conference told me, you know, the real reason he goes, yes, they always tell you not to walk over people's graves. I think pretty much everyone has heard that, right? You know, don't walk over graves. And mm-hmm. yeah, he, he said the reason for that is because those old pine caskets, your weight might they be cave. just cave. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. He, goes, he goes, it's nothing really beyond, you know, it's not, don't be superstitious. And one of them, the guys was like, I was out, I was scouting in a cemetery really kind of late and I was there by myself and I, and he was running back through the cemetery because I was doing everything wrong. And I ran across an old grave and uh, it caved in on him and it was like quicksand. It sucked. It, he was wearing boots and it just a slurry of it went into his boots and he was getting sucked down into it. And luckily, someone came and pulled him out. So, Wow. I was going to yeah. say, I could just imagine. I would like to go back just a tiny little bit to Rose. I visited a cemetery with a grave. 
with that supposedly has a UFO or whatever. That story is a little <laughs> bit more detailed. And my husband, who just happens to have been with Roe at that moment, um, was uh, they actually ended up running away and tripping and falling on this rocky uh, cemetery because they heard gunshots and someone was chasing them down a little bit. No, they weren't chasing us. Me and your husband were being total idiots waiting for everybody else to get there, and we were playing on a mound of dirt making stupid, funny videos. What it was <laughs> is bad. that we didn't realize until a little bit later that there were people, um, which, Tui, you, you live in the area, so you know this. It's, people were firing rifles out in the distance because there's a lot of farmland and stuff out there. And we were with a bunch of group of people, and it was the first Paramania meetup, and that was actually the first time I ever got to hang out with him. Ah. And we went to that cemetery... And we were waiting for everybody else to get there. So we went, oh, this is where the alien grave is. There's a big giant rock on top of it now. And there's a tree next to it. And the whole inside of that tree was a bee's nest or a wasp nest. I, don't I remember, know. Along those it lines. is. I always look out for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, of course, some people pulled through and they're like, oh, you're looking for the aliens, huh? And we're like, yeah, you know, what? we're not going to do anything stupid. here. like, okay, that's fine. You know, they're just checking us out. And we said, no, we're not going to be disrespectful. We're not going to mess anything up. We're not going to do anything here. So we're standing around. And there was a couple other people. I won't say who the person was, but he is very into fairy folklore. Him and a few other people were trying to lift up the stone off of the ground because there's no headstone marker there for the alien grave anymore. I think I know who you were with. I think I yes, know who you, you probably were with do. because I heard this, so, th this story. They told me they yeah. lifted up the rock. Oh, <laughs> you were there. Yeah. Greg Bishop was there. And <laughs> uh -huh. I, we were there, but we weren't doing it. It was myself, Greg Bishop. Ooh. There was a couple other people. Um, uh, Miguel, Red Pill Junkie, he was there. Oh, neat. And, uh, yeah, so we were all hanging out in the cemetery, and we got there long before anybody else did. So we walked the whole cemetery grounds. There's actually a, um, a tombstone for a pet parrot, I believe, that's in yeah. there. Yeah, uh, There's one in the back with a SR-71 jet plane on the tombstone, so we assumed that that person was probably a pilot. But it's a neat little cemetery, like out in the middle of nowhere, really, you know. So, But yeah, we went to the Alien Graveyard Cemetery, which that I know of, they've tried to do ground scanning on that, but the ground is so compacted there at, at this point that if there was anything there, it's probably been smashed by now or crushed or pulverized or decomposed completely into well, nothing by now. Oh, so. there's a lot to that. In fact, I'm actually, I, I thought that was frankly the stupidest thing i'd ever heard in my life when i first was told that i you know as a writer i was at a had someone come up to me and just say like you know what you should be writing about which is always like i'm sure you get that like you know what you should be doing a podcast about and then you know yeah. you just kind of go uh-huh you know like i i usually just gently tell them well if you're excited about it you write about it you know because really everyone should write their own passion i don't have anything against that but i wasn't expecting it to be an exciting thing and uh this guy he's like wearing a cowboy he goes yeah yeah a cowboy hat, you know, he goes, yeah, you ought to write about that little, that little uh, alien they buried up the road a piece, which I love that. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you're just yanking my chain. You're, you know, you're hey, I'm new yeah. to Texas. It's like must be a hazing thing. They probably tell all the newbies this, you know, but no, we go there and, you know, I'm sure you noticed they mention it on the historic marker, the state historic marker. And then when I went there, I was, this was 2012, there was actually a headstone that had a cigar shape, uh, etched into it with little portholes and I, I came back a couple months later I wanted to get a better photo and it had been stolen and I was so bummed yeah so but but when yeah, I, it doesn't surprise me but when I did some research into that I got more and more into it and uh 
I was just intrigued because I didn't realize there were hundreds of airship sightings during a, a, that spring, which to me was news. And I, I, it's one of those things I just haven't been able to stop researching it since. And I actually have a book coming out about it next year. So I will be bugging you about that when that book comes out, because that's another <laughs> topic that I've always wanted to discuss as someone who's knowledgeable about the whole airship sightings thing. I do want to ask you about the cemetery that you went to in Key West, Florida, because it, you'd made note of it in one of your books of all the interesting tombstones that had strange and interesting things written on them. Um, one of them was it's the old classic, I told you I was sick, which I didn't know was actually a real thing. You always see that, like people paint that on, on like tombstones in their front yard at Halloween and like little funny sayings on these tombstones when they make them for their front yard for Halloween. But I didn't know there was actually a tombstone that said that on it. I thought that was just like an old urban legend or something like that. But there's a whole bunch of other ones there. Do you remember what some of the other ones said? Yeah, and what is so funny, I had thought that was just a, a jokey thing too, but it, it's there was a woman there, Pearl Roberts, and when she died, she did have them put, I told you I was sick. There's another one, it, it says, I think in the same family mausoleum or right nearby, it says, devoted fan of singer Julio Iglesias. And one, like, if you're reading this, yeah, I know, I was like, really? And you've got, that's what you want on your headset? Another one says, I'm just resting my eyes. And But the one I, I, one of my favorites actually was, if you're reading this, you desperately need a hobby. Which I'm like, seriously? <laughs> I'm like, this is my hobby. What are you talking about? More than that is kind of my, uh, my, my vocation. But, there's a, but, but that is a really interesting cemetery, I've got to say, because there are huge iguanas lurking in it like living under certain right. headstones so as you're leaning into like oh what year was that something like this big iguana will come out and then the other thing is i was followed all throughout that uh that cemetery by one of those cats with extra toes the hemingway cats because hemingway's what? old house yeah hemingway used to have a house in key west and yeah, we were there's right there yeah and there is a mutated cat um the cats well, what they call them polydactyl cats and they are also known as aka you know Hemingway cats because he was given one and he has a he loved it and now if you visit his museum there there are several Hemingway cats and like I said one followed me it had one yellow eye and one blue eye it was I wanted to kidnap that cat it was so cute wow but, and it just it kept following me around the cemetery so yeah that's a really interesting cemetery I've got to say I don't know. They, they're very lighthearted. Like there was a Captain Fantastic was one of the, he has an obelisk with like a fairy on top of it. I used his, uh, that. I, wow. I, I used that on the cover of my book, Grave Goods. Cause I was like, who is Captain Fantastic? Like I wanted to meet so many, like hang out with these people. You could see like, wow, there are a lot of just fun loving people nearby. And that it, I think the epitaphs do kind of some can really give you a, a flavor for the area in the time period. So you went to Douglas Adams' grave. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, Douglas Adams is in Highgate, a beautiful garden cemetery in London. And it's what it's one of the cemeteries that they call the Magnificent Seven. So in London, they have this, if you look on a map, they make a circle around the outskirts of London. And they are, each of them is a glorious garden cemetery worth exploring. Highgate's fantastic. There's an amazing espresso cart out front, for one thing. And then when you go in, it was so funny that day. It was just me, my stepdaughter, and a biker gang from, like, Surrey there. So we were going along. You know, we, we took the tour. Yeah. Well, what was cracking me up is because 
all the bikers had all these skull motif things on them. And it made me think of how, you know, in modern times, like a skull is meant to be like, I'm a badass, you know, I got the skull on me. But back in the, you know, 200, 300 years ago, a skull was just, uh, you know, to remind you of death. It wasn't meant to, like when you saw a skull, like if you go to Boston and you see a, a grave from the colonial times, you'll often see a skull and crossbones on on it. Like, you know, but that, that doesn't mean, oh, a pirate was buried here or I'm a badass. It was just death. You know, they, they were very grim. So anyway, back to Highgate. I did get to see there are a lot of notable people buried there. And I have a video about Highgate on my uh, YouTube channel, and I, I made some surprising uh, discoveries there. But one of them, um, one of the things, I, I posted this, by the way, on Towel Day, which is a day to remember Douglas Adams. That's May 25th. And uh, I was surprised that, to see that people before me had left pens at his grave. And so me being a writer, I always have at least one pen on me. I took out a cute pen, and I, I just kind of spontaneously left it there. Now, I don't usually do that, but I, I did. I actually left some grave goods, so that was my, <laughs> my first time. First time for everything. You know, speaking of where, talking about Highgate, there are some remarkable things there. I'd encourage anyone who's listening to this to, take, uh, to look it up um, and the yeah. people that are there. But knowing that you've been all over the world and the many different kind of uh, places you've been to see these cemeteries, graveyards, and all sorts of types, I have two questions for you. And because this is Project Archivist, one's going to be weird, and then Great. one's going to be more about your experience. <laughs> okay, let's do the weird thing. <laughs> I want to hear about... This famous lizard, it's on display in a velvet-lined casket in a Texas courthouse, and he met a president. This is so weird. I just, I need to know more. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is one of the many reasons why I say I used to write fiction, but then I moved to Texas. Because once I came here in 2009 and started rooting around and looking at what was around here trying to find some stuff i bumped into some really strange stories like you know hey there's a space alien buried down the street from you and oh yeah you're going to eastland texas while you're there make sure you go to the courthouse because they have a little velvet lined casket with a horny toad in it which i realize is a lizard but here in texas we call them horny toads and the whole story here is just so wonky so in 1897 they were sealing the cornerstone on their then new courthouse and on a whim like the court reporter tucked in took his son's pet horny toad and tucked it into the into the cornerstone along with like a bible and some other stuff for like a time castle because there's an old a horny toad can hibernate for a hundred years and then come back and be just fine so then in 1927, they, or it's either 27 or 29, something like that, they were making a new, you know, demolishing that and going to make a new courthouse. And so they were, uh, people suddenly remembered, oh, yeah, we got to see what's in that cornerstone. And, hey, didn't you put a, a horny toad in there? And they're like, yeah, I did. Let's see if it's still alive. So this was in February. And horny toads, they... They hibernate. It's called brumating, essentially. And that time of year, their little 
mouth and eyes are all sealed shut. You can, and you just cannot find one. I mean, they're underground, they're hidden, they're just not out and about. But so they were like, you know, and, and word spread. And so like, there was a huge crowd, like a thousand people showed up crowded into this town to see what's going to happen. They had like a scientist and a minister and all these people. It was like, people wanted to know what was going on. Is, is that little horny toad going to be alive or not? And when they opened up the cornerstone, supposedly this poor little horny toad came, was alive and his little horns had been really worn down from trying to get out. <laughs> that part I find so heartbreaking. So I don't know whether they did a little sleight of hand substituted a horny toad or what, but allegedly um, there was a horny toad living there and they named him Old Rip. And he became very famous. He kind of went viral, as viral as you could go in the 1920s, which is pretty amazing. The president, Coolidge, came and met him. He, old Rip toured America. Eventually, he retired back in Eastland. And then when he died, they put him in this little, they had a special made little casket. It's so cute. And he lies in state in the county courthouse. And is this where the 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 Bugs Bunny singing toad in the box comes out of? It is Mississippi J. Yes, it's, it's frog whatever he is based on old he inspired. Huh. Uh, he was inspired by old Rip. That is true. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> I know that crazy. It's crazy. So yeah, and there was like they were horny toads were really popular pets for a while, and there was like a place. Oh, Philip! If you fill up at our gas station, you get a free horny toad. I mean, it was nuts. It was nuts. It was oh, just something, I- and and the whole thing. It even goes on from there. Even after he was in his uh, um, his little casket, he was kidnapped twice, and uh, and then yeah, he's had a like. It's just one of those crazy, crazy tales. Yeah. But- so. Here comes the other part, uh, my other question to you, since you've been worldwide and you've seen all these different places, there, I, ever since I went to Germany and I've seen the small um, garden type graves, I started getting a lot more interested in the same kind of uh, things that you are with this uh, taff, what did we put at the beginning? The taffophiles? Taffophile. There you go. Yeah. Oh, here's my question. I've seen videos online of the cartel huge mausoleums that have bathrooms, they have air conditioning, and they're like multi-million dollar mausoleums that you'll see in Mexico, South Uh America. But I've also seen graveyards that are dedicated to mafia members in Russia where the the stones themselves, the memorial stones, are full-scale images of people themselves. Wow. So, ask you, what is the most just out of like the ordinary, incredible level of intricacy or just complexity have you ever seen in a graveyard or a cemetery? Like, what's the most mind blowing one you've ever been to? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I did get to go to Petra. So, I had my. There you go. <laughs> that was pretty cool. So that that was a great complex. That would be it. <laughs> that was just amazing. I and I had a very harrowing camel ride where uh, the, they didn't have the saddle 
tight enough at first and I was about to fall off. And it's so different than riding a horse. Oh my gosh, riding a camel is so different. And the guy who he, yeah, it was crazy. He was taking this, this back route. I, I did best when we were galloping. Finally, they tightened my saddle. I lived through it, but wow, that was crazy. But I would do it again. But yeah, it's very different. You're up on a horse and you're like, well, I could fall off here. It would, it would hurt. But you're up on a camel. You're like, whoa, that's way, way up here. And then they move all weirdly. And oh my gosh, yeah, I, just, I admire anyone who can look graceful on a camel but as far as though i'm trying to think the most elaborate tune you know one of the oddest practices i saw and, and this doesn't was when i was in rarotonga in the south pacific it's this little island beautiful island maori uh you know the maori tribal folk <laughs> have lived there for years or i don't know maybe they're not maori but they are I think it at one, well, anyway, the South Pacific tribes, I might be mixing up my tribes here. I know Maori are New Zealand, but I do believe there was some Maori beliefs there as well. Long story short, it's a beautiful island. Like I said, it just has one road that you go around, no street lights, and very, I loved it there. It was like the, the feeling, the pace of life was really wonderful. But one thing that really intrigued me is they had some cemeteries. So they had a couple cemeteries on the island, but they also, a lot of places you would see uh, really nice tombs in their front yard. And they told me, well, you know, we want to keep the family together. And so grandma and grandpa are out in our front yard. The house has been in our family forever and it's going to stay in our family. So we keep our family close. And so, I mean, seriously, you would see this really nice uh, headstone and then maybe a, in like a sitting area and a barbecue right next to it. I mean, if you're not even having a... a, a I don't know. How far from the front door are we talking? Oh, we are talking like, you know, where most people would have their mailbox, you know? I mean, it was so obviously, I, I, we were driving around the, we were driving around the one road and we were with this crazy Bulgarian guy who had rented a car. <laughs> didn't, he didn't speak English. We don't, I don't speak Bulgarian. So we were having a lot of fun and uh, just pulling over and swimming and stuff. And, but I was like, what? Look at that. And I kept seeing these, you know, slow down. And he's like, what? And I'm like, what? And I would want to look, I'm like, well, look at that again. So finally I found some locals and I, I talked to them and they were like, yeah, we like to keep our family nearby. But yeah. So talk about picnics in the cemetery. They're just having like a backyard barbecue. And then, oh yeah. You know, set the potato salad down there on the tomb. It was, that was to me surprising. Positive. I mean, it, it's accepting and having the family so close. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And okay. I really, I would recommend going there that the, the, just, they, they were so mellow. I was totally unplugged. I was off the, no internet. And, but I've had, I've done that before, but there's just a feeling throughout the island. They were just so, I I don't know what to say, you know, how some places just have a mellow vibe to them. It was, it was kind of like that. Um, It just, it felt like they were just taking life slowly and enjoying themselves. So mellow in the front yard. Sure, sure. Next place I want to go to is Cemetery Gates. And tell me a history of Cemetery Gates. And you mentioned something about something called Lich Gates. Now, Lich Gates, immediately when I go to Lich, I go to this undead, you know, wizard like Sauron or something like that, you know. Um, so what is what is the story between Lich Gates and everything? Oh, well, the undead man, Sauron. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, <laughs> How did you know? Once again. Well, I no, do but, play Dungeons and Dragons uh, on occasion, so. <laughs> <laughs> ah, indeed. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a cool word, Lichgate. And it it's an old English word. Uh, it, it 
does an official lich gate goes back to the middle ages and you would have seen this in england and it's a, a cemetery so it's a, a lich gate is a type of cemetery gate that looks a little bit like the roof of a house so you could stand under it it's kind of like a bus stop see little bus stops that you could stand under and not get rained on to me the the wooden ones do remind me of bus stops except they are the entrance to the cemetery and they would have places to sit quite often and the reason for this is because they didn't people would die at home back in those days and they wouldn't there wasn't a funeral home so they would be wrapped in their you know their cloth and placed on a bier and and you know put taken to the lich gate until a minister could come or until the funeral could happen. And so people would stay there with it to guard the body, you know, from body snatchers and things like that. So that is the original form of a lich gate. People still use the term and they even use the term for some older cemetery gates here in America that look, um, they might even look like an arbor or they have some, they're, they're covered a bit. But cemetery gates, I always encourage people to check them out because there can be a lot of artistry. They can be very fascinating, uh, you know, really great ironwork. One of my favorite cemetery gates, now that you got me thinking about cemetery gates, there's one in Palm Beach, Florida, and it says, oh yeah, okay, just a second. Let me, it says, that which is so universal as death must be a blessing. And I, I need to look that up. I don't know where what that's from. I have to admit, it's just one of those things I, I, I was like, wow, isn't that neat? That which is so universal as death must be a blessing. And that's what you see as you enter the cemetery. And it's a really nifty cemetery, I might admit. I must confess, because there are, uh, they have a lot of Egyptian revival. You'll, you'll see like uh, vulture wings and pyramids and some really interesting things in that particular cemetery. But yeah, that's so cool. that's the whole thing. Well, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was, I was actually, when you touched on that, interesting things. I've got a couple questions. Um, mm -hmm. So when, in your book, you've mentioned uh, particularly um, about how uh, the evolution of transportation with trains allowed for heavier materials, better materials like granite to start being used and how it tends to be um, a lot more uh of a uh, of a material that will last. So, like for example, in Mount, Mount uh, Auburn, a, a historical black uh, a cemetery, they have a lot of copper graves, and oh. those um, do not last as long. And you talk oh. about other materials that don't last as long. But I have to ask, what is up with the PVC piping grave? I mean, I can't even mentally imagine a PVC pipe grave. Where did you see that? And Oh, uh, yeah, yes. I think I know which one you're talking about. I have actually seen that a few times. Okay, well, sometimes I see that in graves, uh, graveyards that have been vandalized. And you will see little flags that say, you know, like little metal things sticking out with like a little flag on it. And they're going to, at some later date, go back and do ground penetrating radar there and figure out, you know, reposition stones. So sometimes before they can reposition the stones, um, they will put PVC pipes just to say, okay, marking each one as they go. Okay, that I get. But I know the one you're talking about, um, that was just someone could not afford a, a, a headstone. And they were in, this is, uh, I, when I see this kind of, I've seen some very humble graves before that 
And I find those really touching. I've seen some where they use marbles and concrete, maybe, or uh, in that ones made from lassos and barbed wire in uh, things that really aren't going to last long. But the PVC one, yeah, it's just like, you know, at least someone cared enough to mark their their grave, but uh, not everyone can afford those big opulent things. And so you do see some very humble uh, graves that people just use what they've got. Oh goodness. And, and, I, and, and I, I've heard such oh gosh, an you were- ass now because I no. was like, I was mentally imagining why would you have a PVC pipe grave? But then, you know, there is oh, was- a lot of history here when you're talking about mass graves and like, for example, the AIDS epidemic, um, especially when it hit oh. hard in New York City. And then, you know, I just quickly Googled and you can see that people um, and the, for those listening, it's um, what I'm imagining here is likely that you've got a um, cross that's made out of PVC mm-hmm. Okay, that's what you're talking about. I just uh, thought it was maybe like a modern art installation idea or, um, but yeah. anyway, okay, but I, 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 I'm sorry. But you go know, you, you, no, you just reminded me that I came across uh, something that just made me go, wow. Uh, it was, I think, in the, it was a, well, okay, over in uh, a county seat. So a lot of people were passing through on their way. You know, it was along one of the trails to the west. So what I'm getting at is a lot of pe- families would be traveling and someone might die along the way and get buried there and not have relatives to maintain the grave. And so it would just be marked with a field stone, just whatever local rock. And this would be in the 1880s that I'm talking about as people were moving west and settling. And there was a little town that I was at. And I was researching their cemetery. It was Weatherford, Texas. I guess I could go ahead and say the cemetery. It's like, I don't want to, you know, out anybody, but it's been a long time. So, you know, there were a lot of strangers who would die as they're passing through time, through town is what I'm getting at. And then later when people created a cemetery committee and wanted to a cemetery association and wanted to quote unquote clean up the cemetery they kept all the nice monuments but those field stones that were around there they just picked them up and stacked them some places i've been to not that place but they even make a walls out of them and things like that and so now they have a, a there are a lot of unmarked graves obviously so now they have a section with a more modern monument kind of not saying, oh, oops, <laughs> but, you know, people realize, gee, that wasn't very nice just because it didn't look opulent. That was still somebody's family member there. So they have a little section with some beautiful trees, crepe myrtles that flower and make really pretty blossoms. And that little section is like dedicated to all the unmarked graves. What they don't tell you is that, yeah, some of them are unmet, unmarked because an earlier cemetery association person didn't think that they were worth keeping. So, you know, you do seem like too that almost sounds like like park in denver where they basically uh, there's a whole history behind it but that entire park is just full of unmarked graves as a result of one man's greed but it's really fascinating You, you know there's a really good book it's called digging for daddy which is quite a title and uh, the woman, I read it, it, she wanted to, she lives in Texas. She wanted to bring her father's body down here per her mom's request and have them, they wanted to be buried side by side. Long story short, you know, and it's not easy to get permission to exhume someone. So they got permission to exhume him. And when they brought the casket up and opened it, it was 
obviously it was like a woman instead. This they kept exhuming bodies and going back and forth, and finally they realized that this that the cemetery records were just atrociously kept. No one wanted to talk about it, and there was really no legal recourse. So she has since been trying to change this, and I think she has successfully, you know gotten some legislation through i mean it doesn't help her and her family now but i was really shocked you would think i just you would think that something like this like cemetery records would have to be kept well but uh it hasn't really been the case you had asked me we were we were talking over over the internet before the show and you had sent me a question about um 100 years ago how did towns commonly handle it when a stranger who had no id died while they were passing through yeah, this is something that as I did more and more research, I would come across cases like this, even, you know, even researching not specific cemetery things, but I'd be like, oh, this person died in town. But imagine it nowadays, if you were, if you were on vacation by yourself, and you just fell over dead in the middle of town, someone could pick up your cell phone or look quickly find you know, go through your wallet, we all have ID, find your Facebook page, I mean, your family could be alerted so much easier now. Uh, boy, not so, <laughs> you know, you think about it, I mean, a hundred years ago, even less, uh, people would pass away while they were traveling, and there were different ways they could handle it. One thing that was quite common, and this is when I love it when I'm giving a talk, because I've gotten used to this, so then when I tell this to a crowd, I've actually had like an audible gasp as I explain that, well, if you died in another town, it could maybe even only be 30 miles away from where you lived. Just think of how slow things traveled back then. But whatever, you're a stranger in town, so they would embalm you, maybe put a little extra embalming fluid in you, and sit you in a chair in a, in a window, like maybe the furniture store window. Because oh, oh no. I see oh. you guys, you guys, I love it, I love it. Oh, you guys can't oh, no. <laughs> and that was too. Oh. Uh-huh, but that, by there, you know, I mean, that's what I love. It's like we look at history through the lens of today and we're like, what? That is just crazy. But to them, it's like, well, what are you going to do? Hopefully someone's going to walk by and go, oh, hey, there's Verna. I recognize her. You know what I mean? Oh, that's Jeb. And if they didn't recognize you, uh, hopefully they would be If the best scenario, best case scenario, which I've read about. Uh, there was a family that was going through Denton. All seven of them died before they got to like I, I, they must have had food poisoning or something and the locals buried them and you know they made them new clothing to wear because you don't want to be buried in your death clothes they made coffins and they buried them but on the other hand i've heard several um, several instances of this nobody claims the body they put a little extra embalming fluid in you to begin with Guess what? They sell you to a carnival, and you become a traveling mummy. Well, there, there are worse. There are worse ways to spend, oh you know, being dead. <laughs> so, you know, at least you get to travel the world. <laughs> yeah, I guess you get to travel a bit. I know it's like one of those those deals with the devil where you you know yes, what's your wish? Oh, I would like to travel the world. And then like that, ah, this is how you're like. Ah, oh, I forgot to stipulate that I wanted to be alive. You know, what had happened? So I got another question for you. Well, actually, it's two questions. I want to talk a little bit about the difference between mausoleums and sarcophaguses. And then you also have a story about a gentleman who wanted to have a telephone installed into his mausoleum. So I guess start with the mausoleums and sarcophaguses and this lead into that one. Okay. Well, um, a sarcophagus. 
Vegas, well, I'll say a mausoleum is a structure, a standalone building of sorts, where you can store several caskets or coffins, depending, because there is a difference between coffins and caskets. But anyway, now a sarcophagus comes, we're going back to ancient Greece again. That's an ancient Greek word that means flesh eating. And that's because uh, the first ones were made out of a type of stone that if you put a body in there, it would desiccate the body so quickly, basically mummify it very quickly. But so the word sarcophagus just kind of stuck. And a sarcophagus, uh, there are a lot of different kinds, but like a, they're, they're often on top of the burial plot and there really isn't anything inside it i mean i even when i was a little kid and i was playing in the cemeteries i would look inside and there would just be open air so they are you will see these box-like structures over a uh, over a burial plot so the person's actually buried under it then they have some sort of fancy box on top of it i mean occasionally someone is inside the sarcophagus but usually not that might be you'll see that usually when it's displayed in a church or something like that there that the body is in there um as for mausoleums that the term mausoleum goes gets back to the one of the ancient you know the seven wonders of the world and uh, um there was one called the helicarnassus which was a a mausoleum and so it was a big tomb and so the word mausoleum stuck from there so yeah, so there was a man. Okay, so we've talked about sarcophagus. We've talked about mausoleum. Ah, the third part of your question. You wanted to know about the guy who wanted to telephone in his mausoleum. Yeah, who, yeah. who wants to have, yeah. I mean, this, is he going to order pizza or? Oh, this is funny. <laughs> no. This is uh, funny. And I, oh, I had so many. I, I have a weekly newsletter. And if anyone wants to, I usually try to share a little tidbit about the cemeteries and what I'm up to. And it's just people who kind of, just the people who are into this stuff. So if anyone listening wants to join it, just go to my website. So when people knew I was, I was writing a book called Six Feet Under Texas, kind of a play on the whole Six Flags over Texas. And people were saying, my readers started saying, oh, you have to have Earl Allen in there. You have to have the story of Earl Allen. He was an oil man uh, in Thurber, Texas, who uh, wanted that phone in his mausoleum. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So I looked into it and he actually uh, had lived, you know, in the early 1900s. And he lived in a town called Thurber, which had a lot of Italian immigrants there. And an Italian brandy drink that's really strong is called grappa. And he loved it. Most people would drink it like diluted and just like a sip and drink. But he would just down that like just guzzle that stuff and because of this i mean apparently he was a very like the life of the party kind of guy everything i read about him he sounded like he was very funny and uh but when he would pass out he would pass out for like two days you know or, or like the whole weekend he would go on a big grapple bender and then just be out so he was you know justifiably worried that maybe i will be passed out people are going to think i'm dead and i'll be buried so he said there was two reasons so he goes i want a, a working phone in the mausoleum with me, and I want it to be kept operating for at least three full days because he never passed out that long. And he also would joke around to his friends and he'd say, like, I need that phone because I'm going to call y'all from hell and I'm going to tell you what it's really like down there. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I know, doesn't he sound like a hoot? I mean, I would have liked it. Like, you like, y'all are missing out. Best people are down here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be funny? I know. So anyway, that was the whole story there. Now, I have been out to the cemetery, and I've checked out his 
brick mausoleum. And I don't see any evidence that there was ever a phone line there. But if nothing else, he just could tell he could really spin a yarn. And he just seemed like such a, a fun guy. I mean, if you can, you know, what a legacy to leave for yourself. You, you're still making people laugh 100 years later. <laughs> this sounds like something my husband would do. Because oh, I've cool, cool. not all of the different things. Like he's told me he wants a Viking burial. Um, like the oh, whole thing like lit up. And I've already, I my best friend actually lives in Sweden. And I asked her and she said, oh my God, what is wrong with you Americans? We made those illegal decades ago. And I said, wait, what? Only decades? And he goes, and she's like, yeah. I don't want to. Anyway, like, there are so many different things, these crazy requests that can come up. And and I'm really glad that, like, we've had an opportunity to talk about this guy with the the telephone. I thought that was actually a, I've heard other people that have asked for that because of that fear of being buried alive. Um, Yeah. Like, are there any other weird things that you've heard with grave goods as well as, like, uh, um, something that was done in an elaborate kind of design for the tombs, because I'm kind of questioning now that yeah. you said that. We, we know I, with grave goods, there are normal things, but I want to hear about the weird things, too. Well, so. you, you made me kind of think of the guy who's buried not that far from a telephone guy. There was a guy uh, who, <laughs> it's in that same town, Thurber. There is a town in West Texas called Thurber, and it is my favorite ghost town because it is a ghost town, but it has two restaurants. I mean, what? I just Wait, so there's you, yeah, yeah. So you can eat at the restaurant and then go out, and it has this wonderful, fantastic uh, cemetery there that has has placards explaining about the lives of the people there. So you really can learn. I wish more cemeteries did this but one of the weirdest um, graves there was from a hungarian immigrant and he was a real character as well he lived a little earlier than the telephone guy telephone but he guy. worked in the coal I love who mines keep referring there to telephone guy. i'm just gonna call him i think he'd get a kick out of that but he used to get drunk probably drinking that grappa again and he would wander around tossing off half sticks of dynamite while just rolling around. So, like, you'd be here. You you guys thought you heard, you know, gunshots when you were in Aurora. Yeah. So, but, but, but get this. Okay. Now, back then, it was not that weird for people to build their own coffin. People did this sometimes. It was just a thing. Some people would build a coffin and they would use it as a bookcase until their day came. And then they'd be buried in it. But what right. Anthony... Huh? It doesn't make sense. And once again, though, this is another case of where they were being practical. But today, I've seen people like if you have a coffin-shaped bookcase, you know, you're trying to be kind of like goth or something. You know what I mean? It's like a different how things have changed. Like back then, it was like, hey, wood is, you know, I don't want to waste this. But I'll use it and be practical, and then I'll be buried in it. So this guy, Anthony, he built himself a very comfortable coffin. He had a, a glass faceplate on it. And he slept in it for years before he didn't use it as it. he actually slept in it. So he was being pla- you know, practical again. But it gets even better. He dug his own grave in advance. And then he lined the walls with brick and mortar. Where, where he worked was uh, in Thurber. They, they produce these really wonderful bricks. You can still see them in use around Texas, all throughout Texas. So it must have looked like a big old elevator shaft. And then 
he had in the dirt, he hid bottles of whiskey throughout the mound of dirt. So they were kind of like party favors for the grave diggers. Because he, he, the reason he did that was he didn't want them to just hastily dump dirt on top of them. He thought that would be, you know, be gentle, dudes. So if you know there's whiskey in the mound of dirt, you're going to be careful as you, as you bury him. But it even there's more. But wait, there's more. He had a locked door um, above his casket and an iron pipe that went all the way down into the casket with him. And you can still see, I have a photo in my book, uh, Six Feet Under Texas. You can still see that iron jutting out of the ground. And there's, you know, where you were supposed to drop the key. Um, so, and then at the bottom of his, at his feet, he wanted a fresh suit and clean shoes so that on judgment day he could, you know, change into that. So you were talking about elaborate uh, burial plans and <laughs> so forth. Anthony Bazzilli popped to mind. Intense. So uh, yeah. here's what I imagine, right? So telephone guy is like, hey, buddy, <laughs> want to go hang out this weekend? No, sorry, working on the grave. And then he explained it to telephone guy. And then telephone guy's like, you know what? You've got some good ideas. And yeah. so he's yeah, I'm going to go ahead and have a telephone because that guy, he's got like whiskey and bricks and all those other things. <laughs> see, I seriously like to see a TV show about the Thurber <laughs> because there are so, I mean, there's so much there that's, it, it's like a, it was like a company town where they could only spend the script that the company gave them and it was had a fence around it to keep union organizers from going in. And I mean, it was just this weird, crazy microcosm of like, everything that was happening in America at that time. So it's really interesting place. So grave goods. Let's hear. Um, coins, coins, toys, seashells, um, things like that. What is the significance of grave goods? What are they? And as Shelley asked, what is the strangest stuff you've seen? Oh, all right. Well, grave goods are items that you see at a grave site or it also includes things that have been buried with the deceased. So you don't see them, uh, obviously, <laughs> I would hope. <laughs> but you know what I mean. So, yes. And, and, um, so like grave goods, we, when you hear the term it, archaeologists use it, you, you tend to think of like Tutankhamun and, you know, the big opulent, a big pyramid full of gold and all this and that. But um, it's something that you can find in just about every cemetery. Uh, and... Yeah, so you can find all sorts of things, everything from, I, you asked me what one of the weirdest things I have seen as far as grave goods left behind. I've seen clown noses left. Clown. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, well, I was going to, I didn't know what well, it was. Was the was guy the a first. clown at the grave? I could see that, like, if, if, the, if the guy was a clown or something like that, then yeah, I could see it, like, clown shoes or something like that being left yeah. there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, some, so a lot of times people, yeah, I was in the, I was at Hugo, Oklahoma, and they have a big showman's rest. So, but it, I didn't know what it was at first. I'm like, what's that weird round red thing? And this time I'm like, oh my gosh. And then, then I looked and it's like, you know, Bonzo clown. I'm like, oh wow, people leave clown noses there. But it is a way to show your um, reverence or for the deceased. Um, yeah, but one, another one of the weirdest ones I would have to say is uh, over in Arlington, Texas, uh, there is a guy who is buried in a kiss casket. You guys know what a kiss casket is? Yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dimebag Daryl, I believe, is buried in one. I think so. That I mean, is, was it? or Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And he's got one of Eddie Van Halen's guitars too, I think. He does. He does. He he's buried with one of Eddie Van Halen's guitars. So he's in a kiss casket, which is spelled casket is spelled with a K as well. And uh, he has one of Eddie Van Halen's bumblebee guitars. And he, Eddie and him had just met, like Dimebag was a huge fan of Eddie Van Halen. In fact, his last words were Van Halen. He and his brother would say that before each show. And, uh, you know, when he was senselessly murdered um, and, and uh, Eddie had just met him a few weeks earlier and was just so devastated. He showed up at the memorial and he brought his he, he was actually negotiating to buy, you know, have Eddie make him another Bumblebee guitar. But he showed up at the memorial. And he's like, here, at, you know, Dimebag was an original. An original should be buried with the original. And that's how that went down. So, yeah, I thought that was kind of that was it's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of grave goods or just mm-hmm. kind of transitioning, um, I got to know, speaking of weird, what is up with Bonnie and Clyde and where their bodies were eventually taken? I need to know more about that story. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. So, you know, I'm not a like a Bonnie and Clyde expert, although I sometimes threaten that I I need to write the Bonnie and Clyde travel guide because so many hotels and B&Bs and restaurants all say that Bonnie and Clyde visited them here. So I'm like, that would be kind of a fun thing. But uh, when they were ambushed in Louisiana, and they were ambushed by law enforcement, and I think people have probably seen the photos of their cars, which is riddled with bullets. They were taken to the nearby town of Arcadia, And they were not taken to a funeral home, but they were taken to a furniture store. And the reason for that is in these small towns, like I was kind of mentioning it earlier, like you might be sat in the windowsill of the, I mean, the window of the furniture store. In in the smaller towns up until the 30s-ish, small town furniture stores, kind of their side hustle was often making coffins and even serving as morgues. It's kind of like, sure, we can do this and this. So it was just a way to expand. So, yeah, when their bodies uh, – and there was – people were swarming their bodies and trying to steal things from them, you know, yanking them. And so huh. I felt sorry for that 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 furniture store because it got trampled. I mean, things just – the masses came and ran all through it and just, you know, knocked stuff over and trampled things. Anyway, yeah, what were you saying? You know – no, I wasn't saying anything because oh. I, the only thing was like, oh, my goodness, they were probably like, this will really help business. And then there were regrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they did eventually sneak them back to Dallas in separate ambulances at night and they just zipped them back. And then at the Dallas being a bigger city, they had funeral homes. Of course, once word got out where their funeral, you know, which funeral home they were at, then people were again trying to looky-loos were coming and trying to trample through that again. It, it's, it's just, you know, people, uh-huh. the way people go. <laughs> and considering the condition of their car with that shootout, oh, I, I don't imagine that it would be easy to, one, sit them up and then, two, transport them and deal with all of that that time and age. So that's yeah. They were pretty much Swiss yeah, cheese. So really, because that's what we all want to want to see. So I know bodies in weird conditions, because that's my <laughs> shtick. Apparently, <laughs> can you see me? This isn't supposed to be a video. <laughs> yeah. um, so here's I've got a question. What is up with these two men that were frenemies and they end up chained together? Were they chained together in the same casket? What's the story behind that? 
Oh, yeah. This is really something. This took place in Jefferson, Texas. So this is East Texas. And yeah, I call them frenemies, even though the word wasn't in use. I think after you hear their tale, you'll be like, yeah, this kind of applies. So they're in the town of Texas, I mean, of Jefferson. There were these two guys. There was Jesse Robinson and Bill Rose. And they were known around town. I mean, one of them was a blacksmith and the other claimed to be a detective, but eh, they were very sketchy guys. So they were known to be drunkards. They'd both done time for murder. And everyone just knew that these guys are bad news. They're bad tempered. And the local paper had even written an article and described them as this, you know, this duo are dangerous and bad men, either drunk or sober. So they had no choice except if they wanted some companionship, they had to be friends. So they would hang out together. And one day, one of them bumped into the other and was like, hey, dude, want to get a drink? But, you know, Rose, it was like Robinson asked Rose and Rose goes, "Eh, no, I don't want to drink. You know, I don't want any whiskey. He even said that, like, it doesn't bring out the best of me or something like that. I'm trying to become a better person. So he'd been snubbed, basically, by the only friend he had. And he reacted by going home, getting a gun, and shooting him. Meanwhile, the other guy, the other guy shot <laughs> as him. As you do. <laughs> as you do. But Very the other weird. guy, yeah, so, but he knew his buddy, his friend, <laughs> figured, you know, was ready. And so he shot back. And basically they shot each other. One of them managed to walk like three steps down the street before collapsing. And so the locals, after seeing this, they decided to bury them side by side. And they gave them quite a nice memorial. I mean, it's not a little PVC pipe. What they did was they they have these two uh, iron, like like they look like wood wooden um, torches that aren't lit. Like wooden, you know, I have it, you can see it on my website if you go. But it's like t- they're black iron and it's made to look like wood, and it has ivy going around it. Not the actual plant, but it's it's a uh, the decoration looks like ivy which is telling because the symbol of ivy, ivy symbolizes friendship. So here you have these, this wooden stake. Well, it's not wooden. It's an iron stake. It's meant to look like wood with ivy going around it. Then a big heavy chain in between it and another one. So there's these two wooden, uh, they're supposed to look like wood poles with a heavy chain between them. And that's it. There's nothing. There's no name. There's no date. No nothing else. And then people say, and I tried to find out, but I, you know, really clinch it. I don't know, but they claim that their coffins are chained together too. Now, I would like to go back and maybe ground penetrate and radar and see if we could tell, but that's that's what the locals did. And I just think it's really interesting that that is actually I've never come across another grave that was quite that clever. I mean, oh my they didn't have to do that. These guys were no goodniks, and yet they. It kind of reminds me of like I don't know the. Charles Dickens' Christmas Tale and Jacob Marley with all the chains or something. I, I don't know, but they chose to do, I don't know, that was not a cheap monument that they put there. And maybe they used it as a thing like to scare straight the local kitties or something like, you don't want to end up like, you know, Rose and Robinson. Look at them. I, I really don't know. All those one stop hiding. You'll be forever in the get along grade, okay? <laughs> Instead of get along shirt. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I tell you what, though, I just have to say that now that you told that story, I kind of regret asking 
because of the bromance that happens between my husband and Ro. They're going to find oh some my way God. to out oh, no. no. And I'm not going to be buried <laughs> next to my husband. No. I'm going to have to go visit the Roe and Chuck grave. Oh, my gosh. There we go. <laughs> no, we, we, we will both have Viking burials, which I did have a friend that did have a, a Viking burial. They, they had to take, after they cremated his ashes, they put the ashes on the boat. They sent it out, and uh, they shot it with flaming arrows, and, and you know, the boat burned up and sank and all that, et cetera, wow. um, into this guy's pond. Yeah. Uh, you can't, apparently you can do it, but you can't do it with an actual body. You have to have the, crema- the cremated remains of the body, or at least that's, the, this was down in Ohio. So, um, oh. I, that, that was what they told them about it. And plus it was on private property, et cetera. Yeah. So it wasn't like they were going out to a local lake and putting someone's ashes in the lake or what have you. So, um, and, uh, yeah. it's, it's, um, well, they're not, they used to be buddies of mine. I haven't talked to them in quite some time, but they ran this facility that made, uh, miniatures for tabletop oh. games. And, um, I, I make mead, so I'll go down there every once in a while, and they're, they're a big fans of my mead or whatever. So when I go down there, I'll take a bottle. We uh, took a bottle of Viking blood mead down there and one of my bottles another time. And the guy that had the Viking funeral, he was really into drinking mead and everything. So that was one of the reasons he said, well, when I pass away, I want to have a Viking funeral. And they, they did it, and they built the, the whole boat out of uh, cardboard and gasoline. And wow. <laughs> they sent it out there and shot it off and, and burned it off and... You know that was how they sent him. That they sent him into uh, the next world. You know, with, with the mm-hmm. uh, lighting the boat on fire and it sinking into the water with his ashes in it. And but, I'm um, sure it was pretty joyous too. Yeah, so, you know, I've in a way. Now that you've I've said often, that, bro. Yeah, Chuck is going to ask for that. You guys are going to have like a dual Viking funeral, and you know what's going to happen is his Japanese family, his formal Japanese family, is going to show up and say, first of all. What the hell just happened? And second of all, where are you going to put him? Because we need the family together. And I'm going to be like, I'm sorry, he's out on a boat with Roe. Then just put some of the ashes in there. You don't have to put all of his oh. ashes in there. Oh, my yeah. God. Too. Yeah, sorry. He's thought of everything now. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Just, just get him a motorcycle helmet urn. You know, and put some of the ashes in that. See, that's the cool thing about once you die, you, you leave a good amount of ashes behind. I frequently said, like, there's a lot of things that you can do with just a little bit of ashes. You can have them made into, like, a marble or a trinket. You can have them pressed mm-hmm. into vinyl. You can have them put into, like, a potting thing so a tree grows out of it. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Lord willing, if it's possible, I want to have my ashes as, as as many different things as I possibly can. You know, I want to I want to be a dead man of the world. You know? I like that. That's really cool. That's a great idea. Yeah. Oh, well, my so, friend, don't do what my friend did. I was I was moving into a new house. I was unpacking all the stuff for the kitchen. And I, I pull out this thing and I'm like, gee, I never bought this brand of yogurt before. It's like a yogurt container. I open it oh, up. No. And I'm like, what's this? I live in Washington State. I'm like, is this Mount St. Helens ash? I am like playing with it i'm like you know running it and seeing what consistency it is and suddenly the phone rings it's my friend she's like oh my gosh oh my gosh uh, i forgot to tell you i gave you some of max's ashes i'm like oh i'm sitting there and but luckily our friend had uh max had such a great sense of humor we both agreed he would have thought that was hilarious but yeah, yeah. i was kind of not fine <laughs> yes <laughs> could have been worse I love it. Well, so we've, we've had you on here for over an hour now. Um, oh, I've goodness. asked you every conceivable question that we could possibly come up with, I think. And um, we've talked your ear off and you've talked ours off and probably the people that oh, are listening, man, I, which I is have. fine. 
which is perfectly fine. I was I was hoping it would go this way because uh, I, I really feel like I could probably have you on here for another two hours just just on cemetery, on cemetery symbolism alone, the cemetery symbols on graves and things like that, because you've covered so much of this stuff. But, oh, there's lots um, more to talk about. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I'm sure there is. I'm we'll sure I'll be, I'll be bugging you again. So uh, tell everybody you, your book. Yeah, where can people find you? Okay, yeah, well, uh, you can... There's a few options. If you're just interested in my books, go to, to Amazon and just type my name, Tui Snyder. Don't put a Y in my name at all. It should come up. Go to my page there. Or you can go to my website, and while you're there, maybe sign up for my newsletter. Then you'll, If you want to like, know what I'm up to, what's going on. Or another option, too. Or And you could also, I got to say, this is important, I should say, I have a YouTube channel, and I'm starting something every Tuesday. I've got a new streaming show happening called Tombstone Tuesdays, and I have really exciting, some exciting guests who will be coming along. So every Tuesday at 4 o'clock Texas time, which is central, so 5 p.m. for you guys there. Um, yeah, so that's you can find me all those different ways, and I do love the – if you really want to get a hold of me, the best thing is to hit reply to my newsletter. I really kind of prioritize that. Because when I'm doing research, you know, I, I kind of neglect everything else except for my newsletter and my YouTube channel. So there you go. And I just also, I really wanted to thank you guys for having me on. And it was really great to meet you, Shelly. I just, I could tell, it's just, it's nice to meet kindred spirits. And, um, oh, and I, I guess I was talking my head off, but it's just nice to meet kindred spirits. And like, I guess I get a little pent up not being able to talk about all this fun stuff. I don't blame you in the least. And I just, your book was so easy to read and I really enjoyed it. And everyone, if you go to TuiSnyder.com, there's a lot more information on that, her newsletter. And I love your dresses, by the way. I'm sorry, <laughs> but it's like watching a bad pinup oh model walking through a cemetery. I hope that's not offensive because I'm like, those dresses are cute. Oh, she's not doing at stuff all. I want to do. That's amazing. No. And it's funny. I have dresses for each genre. So I have like these cool dresses with like gravestones on them and glow in the dark skeletons for like oh, cemetery cool. stuff. And then for my haunted stuff, I have these sort of ghosty stuff. And I'm like, ooh. And you know, I wrote about the Santa Claus bank robbers. So I have a little Santa outfits, you know. But yeah, I look for the fun. It gives me an excuse. Like I was like, oh, I've got dresses for each genre. It's fun. And, and I know I do wear, I have a little parasol and some of the. Uh, photos but that's important for the sun and also like to reflect light onto tombstones when you're taking pictures so I, you know i try to be practical but like fun at the same time and and as so you said i i was happy that I, I i'm glad that you felt my books were like easy to read I, th I think you said because i never want them to i want people to learn stuff but i don't want it to feel like and there will be a test later you know what i mean i, I want it to be Absolutely. <laughs> no, I mean, I'll read so it was engaging and it, it really does make this kind of sub matter into a more engaging experience for a broader audience instead of just this highfalutin academic experience that just brings you to snoring i mean it's yeah, just it where was great is the fun thank of that i, I read a lot of that. stuff like that i read a lot i will slog through really boring stuff just so that i can write two interesting sentences that you will just breeze through and not realize but i don't want to i'm not trying to be a big old academic okay. i'm just trying to get people to go stomp through their own historic cemeteries and have fun learning it doesn't have to be this big old dry like you said put you to sleep kind of stuff why thank you it was it was yeah. a good experience reading so thank you um sorry go ahead oh, no no let's go ahead you're fine you're fine <laughs> you guys go ahead and talk dresses and and and, and umbrellas and things like that and, and, and graveyard 
dead bodies. You know, the height of graveyard fashion. Parasols. And thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on here and talking about this kind of stuff. Um, we're kind of like, I'm kind of like a puppy. Once you feed me, I will follow you home and continue to bug you down the road to come back on the show for other things at some point or another. So, um, I'd love that. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've loved talking to you. It's been a real blast having you here. So thank you very much. Well, thanks so no much. No problem. We will talk to you again. Want to see ghosts in your own home, learn how to speak to the dead, or go on a sightseeing tour of hell? At Curious Publications. We take wonderfully odd public domain books lost to obscurity and give them new life. Shop CuriousPublications.com. If you like motorcycles and you like comedy, perhaps you should try the Wheel Nerds podcast. Stop that. What are you doing? I'm doing my announcer voice. It's proven super effective. It's stupid. Nope. We're the Wheel Nerds. Shut up. We're the Wheel Nerds. We're a weekly-ish comedy motorcycle podcast where we talk about everything two wheels and a bunch of stuff that isn't. Give us a listen at wheelnerds.com, iTunes, or Stitcher. Or wherever fine podcasts are sold. Ha, ha, ha. I'm going to stop doing this now. My throat hurts. So, Tui Snyder. Her first name is spelled T-U-I, and her last name S-N-I-D-E-R. So if you want to go out and do a search for her, which I'm sure it's probably in the show notes and in the show title as well, but hey, whatever. So, yeah, she was really excited to talk to us. She was uh, she was messaging me beforehand about how thrilled she was to be here and how she'd become a, scri- a subscriber to the show and all that. And I'd listened to some interviews with her, so I kind of knew what I was going to do. But I think she was just really, really stoked to be talking to us. So. <laughs> yeah, but truth be told, I was really excited to talk to her. I like what she does. I like her books. They're It's like you said, they're laid out very well. And like when I one of the reasons I've been wanting to do a show like this for so long is like I've, I'm not a stranger to going to graveyards and cemeteries and things like that. Um, I used to play in there was when I was a kid growing up. Uh, the city that I lived in had a real big, massive one. And when we were kids, we'd go hang out there and play guns and cops and robbers and stuff. And we didn't think there was anything weird about it. And there was a couple of times where we hung out there at night, too, when we got older in high school. You know, we'd go back and hang out there and just party with the gang or whatever. So this idea of being in cemeteries and graveyards and stuff has never really been creepy to me. If anything, it's just like, okay, you know, if there is ghosts and things like that you know, hanging out in places like this. It's like, Hey, I'm just here. I'm not, I'm not being disrespectful. I'm just looking around, you know, checking stuff out. And, you know, it's just kind of neat to look at somebody's grave and, and, you know, these people lived and what they left behind. This is kind of a legacy of some sorts that they leave behind. I was in a cemetery up in Ithaca, New York. I've been to one a couple of times. I was up in one last year and there's, um, I think there's a, I probably, I might be wrong about what I'm remembering, but I think there's this family there. It's got a name of Blood Axe. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. That's what I was like. That's, that's pretty fucking badass to find in a graveyard, you know? And it's, it's, it had, a, I think it said Blood Axe or something like that. And the whole family was buried like up, up, up in the side of this hill. And there was this big monument from the Odd Fellows there. And it was a really, really old graveyard. And at nighttime, if you were walking through it, you'd probably end up killing yourself because there's lots of little ravines and stuff like that in it. But um, 
like there's all these old Civil War graveyards, these Civil War graves and all this thing. It's really, really old. It goes back a long, long time. It was the town's original cemetery that was there. And we've got a couple in this city, too, but they're locked off. You can't get into them because they're so historical. You can't really get into them unless you have family that's buried there and you're going in to maintain it or whatever. But they don't want people going in there and keeping people out and everything. But I've often enjoyed just like going to cemeteries and stuff and just strolling and taking a walk and looking at things and, and looking at people's really cool graves and tombs and things and the artwork that goes into them. And the, it's it's kind of like this is going to sound weird, but it's kind of for me, it's kind of like walking through a museum in some way, shape or form. You know, it's kind of like just taking a nice little walk through a park or what have you. Um it's been a while since I've done it other than the one in Ithaca, but I used to go to them all the time when I was a lot younger. I actually caught an EVP at one in a long time ago, but that's a story for another time. So. <laughs> and truly, I would encourage everybody to to go and look up a lot of Tui's work because like uh, you said and like she says repeatedly in her books, these are uh, preservations of expression and uh, a lot of historical content are in these cemeteries and you know they always say that uh, funerals are not for the dead they're for the living but in a truth of matter is, is like just like a bumper sticker you have a very short period of time to convey a strong message symbolism and a lot of other things so is an epitaph so is a stone so is the design of these kinds of places where you lay someone to rest you only have so much time and so much attention to convey the very last message of your life. So what is it going to be? Something like rest in peace? Or is it going to be I told you I was sick? Or go get a hobby, as we learned? So uh, who knows what exactly one will end up conveying at the in, in the end. But it's, it's really cool. Some of these older cemeteries and um, looking at these different symbols and what they mean and shapes, sizes, types... It was really great conversation. See, that was stuff we didn't we didn't get to go in with her. Though we didn't really get to go into any of the what does this symbol mean? What does that symbol represent? Because that's another whole show within itself. But it's like yeah. you say that you can only put so much on the tombstone. So that's another reason why they have these symbols and things on there because it symbolizes something about the person. You know, besides what the tombstone says. Exactly. So. It it's like she said though this wasn't this wasn't a, a thing of like hey let's be yes it. Is. It is creepy and weird. It is it is something that our show would cover. It's odd and unusual, but there's also historical value to it beyond the whole... Once you get over the whole aspect of, okay, there's a dead person buried there, there's a dead body here, but there's more beyond that. There's more, you know, the, the artwork, what it's made of, where it's placed. Like, we never even got into why tombstones faced east, why husbands and wives are buried the way, the way that they are when they're buried in the ground together. There's so much more to all this stuff other than just like, yep, there's a there's a tombstone, you know, you know, Uncle Brad, blah, 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 loving father, blah, blah. And that's it, you know. So there's more to this stuff and it's history and it's important and it's it's pretty cool. You know, just the whole concept of the effort and time that's put into making some of these graves and, and, you know, why things are the way that they are, you know, outside of just looking at a grave or a tomb and seeing what it is. So what madness is this? Project Archivist is becoming educational. Well, we always have tried to be, uh, you know, it's, it, or or make people laugh. It's like, it's like I said in the show. We try to I try to cover things differently, and at the same time, try to teach people something different than 
whatever else is being offered out there. So, which is why I'm really looking forward to the next show that we're going to try to do about grave robbers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tune in, everybody. Same dead body channel, same dead body chop. Same dead body channel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, before we take off, how was your holiday, considering the uh, the craziness of the virus and everything? Did it go well? Did, did you did you let us off? Or, I'm an introvert. You know? It was paradise. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, how how are you dealing with? Because uh, I know out where you are, you were like in one of the big hot spots for virus stuff. When I went out there, um, it wasn't so bad when I went out there. But again, we were masked up everywhere we went, and all those kinds of things, and the different restaurants and stuff. But you're like Utah was a big hot spot for a while. I think it still is. Not as bad as some of them are, but you know uh-huh. the the you know you you went through the whole craziness of halloween as well you had some kind of an ingenious setup i believe for something at the end of your driveway you had oh, yeah. sanitized bags or something like that in a fire pit and mm-hmm. people could just walk up and grab their thing and walk away or something like that because you guys actually had trick-or-treating out there yeah we did um and so i just hung up these like laundry lines and uh used uh just uh clothing uh what are those the pins yeah the little wooden pins yeah. and just had the little kids grab their own, and then one little kid's like, this smells like pine saw. And I'm like, that's because I actually care that you live, kid. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I mean, I know we're a hot spot and all, but again, I am a utterly, happily closed off in, uh, introvert in my little castle. And so... I don't know much about what's happening on the outside, and I spent most of Christmas watching Vikings, so <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I like that. If things go well, fingers crossed, I'm supposed to be back out on that side of the country over there somewhere early May. Um, I'm going to see how the situation is going at the time. I've got like a, a job thing out there that I might be going out and doing. Um, how was your holiday? Um, yeah, 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 you know, okay. I, I, I had to spend time with my family. I wasn't given a choice not to, um, one day of it was excruciating. The other day with the other part of the family was, it was a lot of fun. I got to hang out with the kids and, uh, the kids are adults now. So this is our first adult Christmas with all of us just together with just the immediate family. Like the one day was with the in-laws and the other extended family, that day was not so fun. Uh, the next day was pretty cool. Christmas uh, it was, I think it was Christmas Day or the day after Christmas, I believe it was. And and my my other side of the family, my kids and everything, they're very strict about quarantining and really watching what they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. So we went over there. That was like, okay, everybody's here is cool because we don't go do anything. I'm kind of an introvert. I just hang out at home or I go to work and I'm wearing a mask all day and I stay away from people. But my kids are real. Being younger, they're like, no, we're not going near anybody with a nine-foot pole kind of deal. So, you know, but it, it was cool. You know, just uh, this was the first year that I actually got to sit down with both of my kids being of age and have a, you know, we all had we all had a glass of wine together and we talked about adult things and bills and things like that. It was it was different, but it was a lot of fun. It was probably that that part of Christmas was one of the best Christmases I think I've ever had. Um yeah, nice. so it was cool. You know, I'm just I'm just anxious for this to be done. I'm I'm hoping that by May, um, generally enough people will be vaccinated that I can pull off this thing that I'm trying to pull off. If not, well, I'll have to see what I can do. <laughs> so okay, everyone, you hear that? Let's make sure that we vaccinate so that Roe can leave the house. You know, as long as I can get vaccinated, I've given up the battle of trying to get other people vaccinated because I don't want to get vaccinated. Fine, you do whatever you're going to do. I just want to get my shots. 
and be right with the world and go out and be like, okay, you're not vaccinated. I don't care. I'm vaccinated. You do whichever you're going to do. And if you get sick and whatever happens to you, that's on you. I've, I've gotten my shots. I'm good. Let's move on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but they're saying by between, by, between by May and June that everybody should have everybody should want to get it should be able to get it i think there'll be three or four of them out by then at that point so who knows either way we've got to clear the way for roe to take over the world no that's far too much for me i'd rather let somebody else do that and i'll just sit them you know i'll be like one of the old guys in the muppets sitting up in the balcony like "Ah, you did that wrong or whatever that's you know, awesome I have no interest in world I domination. want to judge that let's go <laughs> i'll be the other yeah. guy let's do I can't remember, Statler and Waldorf that's who they are yeah that's probably my two favorite characters on the Muppets the guys that just sit up in the balcony and laugh at everybody but anyways um all right let's wrap this up let's call it good you have no blog no nothing no anywhere this is this is where people can find you is here so I'm morbidly curious yes. and that's all I have to offer to the world. And you were just somebody that listens to the show and I found you fiercely interesting and we brought you on and you were a fabulous guest. And now I bring you on here whenever we have to deal with dead things because you have interesting and insightful input. I guess that's so, what I'm going to put on my epitaph, everyone. I am sincerely sorry. <laughs> interesting and insightful input. <laughs> I'm now more interesting because I'm six feet under. So uh, let's call this good. Let's call it a wrap. Um, as always, this is Rojan from Detroit. You can say whatever the heck you want. I'm the living dead girl, Shelly, and thank you for your patience and time. Peace, folks. Listen close, then you can hear me shout.
Don't wanna be there.